Hello, hello to the podcast Agroecology World and this 12th episode. As always, this is your host, Rob Cluson, aka Dr. K. Again, I want to personally welcome you and thank you for your interest in this podcast. I sincerely believe that it will bring you inspiring connections from around the world that will benefit your efforts and your community. To get started, I want to briefly describe the podcast Agroecology World especially for my new listeners. I had a career as a sustainable agriculture extension faculty with the University of Florida, Institute of Food and Agriculture Sciences. I am currently on world travels with my wife, Skye. Agroecology brings to you my conversations with some of the outstanding practitioners and communities who are implementing programs of agroecology and sustainable food systems development that I'm so lucky to meet during these fascinating travels. In other words, my intent is to let you hear the voices from actual folks and places so that you can learn and assimilate their own ideas and experiences. And as usual, I will keep it informal but informative and light but enlightening. This episode holds a special place for me for several reasons. First, It's my return to offering episodes in this time of COVID since my last episode number 11 in February 2020. I'm so happy to offer it in time for the holiday season and the arrival of 2021. Second, while my preferred approach to episode making is an experiential one of face-to-face interviews on visits to farms, I'm now turning to Zoom online technology to conduct interviews due to the continued travel restrictions in this time of COVID. And lastly, as communities around the world search for the lessons and responses to the COVID pandemic, I sincerely believe that the stories of this podcast offer key insights and hope for all of us that sustainable models already exist that allow us to make rapid and resilient changes to impacts of COVID, as well as continuing to contribute to their community's climate action plans. For this episode number 12, I was very fortunate to interview Darina Allen of Ballymallow Cookery School Organic Farm and Gardens in County Cork, Ireland. I talked to her about her personal and family's journey as part of the rich food culture community of County Cork. It's an extended interview, so I recommend sitting down with your favorite beverage for it. Aha! Uh-huh. I know that you will appreciate hearing Darina's story and perspective. Before we get to the interview, I would like to provide the following background information for your consideration. The scope of agroecology is described as transdisciplinary. That is, including input from scientific disciplines, traditions of agriculture practices, and social movements. This means that for the development of sustainable agriculture and food systems, agroecology recognizes and depends on the involvement of a community of diverse stakeholders, such as, but not limited to, farmers, ranchers, and a diversity of food producers, indigenous peoples, food consumers, food and farm workers, food entrepreneurs and educators, women and especially the youth, civil society and government groups, researchers. In addition, agroecology highlights the need and potential of promoting an integrative approach to achieve its goals by addressing the intersection of the factors of scale and community. For example, the concepts of agroecology territories and bioregions are now defined and applied as transition processes and policies towards sustainable agriculture and food systems and biodiversity conservation. The international program called Glasgow Food and Climate Declaration recognizes that the majority of sustainable food system innovation 
and change are occurring at the local and regional levels and communities. That is to say, subnational governments are acting quicker to achieve these goals than national governments. Specifically, the Glasgow Declaration is a commitment by cities, regions, and local governments to implement integrative food policies and a call on national governments to act. This episode continues my focus on the role of community in agroecology. That's been highlighted in past episodes, such as episode number 11 at the Clough Jordan Community Farm in Ireland. In our extended stay in Ireland during this time of COVID, my wife and I are living in County Cork, which is a world renowned for its rich local food culture, sustainable agriculture, and community of local food producers and entrepreneurs. I was originally introduced to this agroecology region during my professional career in my own local foods education programs in Florida. With collaborations with Noreen Kinney of County Cork. Noreen is an honorary ambassador of Irish cuisine and the president of the Cordon d'Or International and Florida Culinary Academic Awards programs. And of course, a very dear friend. Next, we will listen to my conversation with Dorina Allen, who truly embodies the full spirit of County Cork's rich food heritage and economy. Here's a partial summary of Dorina's background. She's advancing the legacy of her mother-in-law, Myrtle Allen, a pioneer of the Irish farm-to-fork movement that promotes cooking with seasonal local foods. She started the Ballymallow Cookery School with her brother in 1983. She's a founder of Slow Food Ireland. She's instrumental to the success of Irish farmers' markets movement. She's an author of cookery books, newspaper columns, and social media. And she's an artisan food entrepreneur. My interview with Dorina took place in November 2020. so much for uh, making some time for me. So now my wife and I are here in Ireland. And so obviously uh, I knew about you and County Cork uh, food culture. And so I'm so happy that I have a chance to actually reach out to you and, and, uh, and talk. So, yeah, yeah. So, so, Dorina, yeah, basically. So I was going to wrap a scarf around me because it's quite chilly in here. Ah, yeah, but it's sunny. It's a beautiful yeah. sunny day. Yes, I know. Uh, we're we're getting used to the weather and uh, enjoying every every sunny day uh, that comes our way. So, uh, yeah. So in terms of uh, how to how to have a, a little chat, uh, basically. You know, I like to start out for my audience about having my uh, interviewee introduce themselves and uh, where we are and, and sort of a introduction to, I know you're a multi-talented and you have many things going, but just basically what, what you're hoping uh, you are achieving and hoping to keep on achieving with the uh, the Ballymallow Cook Cookery School. You've got an organic farm, and you've got gardens. And uh, so, we'll just start at that. Okay. Okay. Tell me when to start. Shall I start now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm Dorina Allen, and I'm uh, owner and founder of the Ballymallow Cookery School, 
down on the south coast of Ireland, uh, east of Cork. Uh, it's uh, in the middle, the school is in the middle of a hundred acre organic farm gardens. So it's an on-farm cooking school and it was established in 1983. So it's a sustainable uh, food project um, and has been from the very beginning, uh, long before a lot of these, uh, uh, the, the terms farm to fork and even before the word sustainable became a buzzword. Uh, it's not any kind of, um, it's what we do. It's not really a conversion on the road to Damascus. It's just the way we are and continue to be. Great, yeah. I know, uh, and, and these days too, there's a proliferation of terms that are happening about different uh, variations of the same idea, which is for me very interesting that people uh, do come up, are starting from different starting points, but we're all converging to similar ideas. Uh, and uh, now, in the beginning, when you started, I've read about your mother-in-law, Myrtle Allen, and I know that uh, she was a very pivotal influence for you, as well as all of Ireland, really. And 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 uh, now, when you and your brother started your cookery school, I guess, I guess the question was at that time, what did you have that helped you bring that idea to fruition? Because you. You, you were uh, seeing an opportunity, uh, your the skills you had and the people that you, that you were working with, your community. Um, well, in a way, I, I need to go back even before that, because basically um, when I got married in 1970, my husband was a horticulturalist. We had inherited, we're very fortunate to inherit a um, hundred, hundred acre farm, uh, a second farm from my parents-in-law, Ivan and Myrtle Allen. But actually, uh, and then we, you know, went on to have four children, etc. And I had no intention of ever really doing anything apart from, you know, having a, uh, a few cute little children and painting my nails and going on picnics and all that kind of thing. And uh, generally being a traditional, um, what you might use the word housewife, I don't use it in any kind of derogatory term. I think it's a wonderful thing to do, to run a house brilliantly, look after and bring up children brilliantly yes. and, and feed them well and all of that. But anyway, I, in the uh, late um, 70s, uh, I suppose, uh, early 80s, there was a very, there was a very big recession in Ireland. And for us as horticulturalist farmers, there was the perfect storm. So basically, um, we were had, at that stage, we were uh, we had about five acres of greenhouses, 65 ac acres of apple orchard, uh, and also a big mushroom farm. So we were not only supplying the, um, the home market here in Ireland, but also exporting uh, some produce to the UK and so on. And then the, what happened was that the lot, four or five different things happened to make it us really have to, to make, force us to change course. So basically um, there was the, uh, we were heating five acres of greenhouses with oil. So there was the oil crisis, 25% inflation here in Ireland, labor costs started to rise, the cheap food policy kicked in. So in other words, instead of um, getting more, a little bit more for your produce every year, uh, as costs went up, you, uh, the cheap food policy meant that you got less and less and less for your produce. The supermarket to come on stream we've gone into the eu a whole tidal wave of regulation started to pour in on top of us everything was much more expensive to produce we were getting less from it and my husband could quite clearly see the writing on the wall it was not going to get better if anything things were going to get worse for farmers and food producers and as you probably know the reality now is that the were farmers and food producers in general are being forced by, by our assumption, the general public's assumption that cheap food is our right. The farmers and food producers who feed us and keep us alive are in general not being paid enough to produce nourishing wholesome food. So we were horticulturalists, we were employing over 100 people at that time. It was a very commercial, uh, 
uh, operation. I mean, we had graders and all of that kind of thing, but it was obvious that we were going to have to change course. So at that time, we used to sell our produce into the wholesalers uh, in Cork. That's how you sold your produce, and then they sold it on. Uh, but somebody said to us, this had gone on for a while, this is getting less and less um, uh, uh, you know, return for your produce and the regulations got tighter and tighter and tighter. Uh, so anyway, somebody said, look, forget about the wholesalers. The supermarkets are the way to go nowadays. So we were delighted to get a, a contract with one of the big Irish supermarket chains for Irish apples. They were getting, you know, uh, they were getting a, a, um, a being criticised for having no Irish apples uh, on their shelves. So um, anyway, we made a deal with them and a contract and all of that started to supply in beautiful apples. At that stage, we grew about 15 different varieties of apples. And uh, then somehow or other, you know, there would seem to be regularly uh, some reason why they didn't pay you what they said they would, or they would send back some um, because there was some, something they found wrong, like a bruise in one little apple or something. And this went on and on. Then suddenly we realized that this was actually policy. It wasn't actually an accidental thing. And anyway, um, we were getting more and more despondent. And I remember one day my husband arrived home from Cork, um, having been up at six in the morning, taking in the uh, the order. And we used to, he came into the kitchen door. We used to have breakfast together. It was a lovely part of the day that we would look forward to. I would have sent, got the children, by then four children off to school and, um, or three of the four. And we'd sit down and have breakfast together. And I remember I looked up and, he was walked into the kitchen door even more despondent than ever. And he said, I don't care if I have to crawl on my knees. I am never doing that again. Some young pup of a, of a supermarket buyer who couldn't have grown parsley if his life depended on it had yet again, you know, kind of semi-fabricated some excuse for not paying what had been agreed to be paid. So he said, we simply, uh, I remember my husband said to me, we simply have to, find a different way to earn a living. So um, we just then had to stop as many people have to do now. This happens many people in life. You have to think outside the box to find a different way to create an income or an income stream. So we had to sit down and think what talents have we, what resources have we between us uh, and then to, to earn a living in different ways. So the Ballymaloo Cookery School was born out of desperation. Hmm. It was born out of desperation to find a different way to earn an honorable living on the land that we love. So we could continue to stay on the land that we love, continue to employ people, continue to farm in harmony with nature sustainably, which was the only way we ever did things. Uh, originally, we weren't actually organic um, originally, but um, once I opened the cooking school, I and I learned more and more about the impact of pesticides and, and artificial uh, fertilizers and all the other things on our land and uh, I uh, basically I we we decided we would go into conversion for organic and we've been uh, farming now here organically for over 30 years about th uh, I can't remember how long we're we're, uh, we're um, registered with the organic trust here in Ireland also of course the soil association so basically it's um so just to give you more of a picture of what there is. So we have, we started in 1983, we opened a small cooking school in some converted farm buildings uh, here in the middle of the farm. And uh, I realized at some stage that, uh, you know, first of all, I could cook a bit because I had done, I'd learned how to cook and I cooked along inside my mother-in-law in Ballymaloo house. My mother was also a very good cook and I'd also done hotel management, which was more about management than cooking. But anyway, at some stage, I realized that lots of people actually couldn't cook and would love to be able to cook. So um, I thought, well, that's one thing I could do. And the brilliant thing is that we're in the middle of a farm. We have quite uh, extensive gardens. We have over 10 acres of gardens here, vegetable gardens, food gardens, you know, herbaceous borders, you know, maize, all sorts of things. And I realized that, of course, it was perfect place to open a cooking school in the middle of a farm where we could produce a, a lot of the produce uh, for our students to cook with. And uh, um, so that we started in September 1983. Originally, we had nine students and then 11 within two years. Our first American student came. And now 
um, of course, we have students literally from all over the world, from literally from Alaska to America to Mexico uh, to Vietnam to you know all over Europe, as at Nordic Peninsula, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the main reason they come is because the cooking school is situated in the middle of an organic farm, and it, they can literally learn how food is produced from the farm to the fork. Because there's a whole one or two generations now who really feel robbed of that connection, who really want to go back and find how good, nourishing, wholesome food is produced uh, and have really good produce to cook with. So it's a yearning actually to relearn. So we are fortunate that we were in a position where we could have what I now call an on-farm cooking school and of course a sustainable food project and we do not only cooking classes here but we also do sustainable um we do uh, we, uh, we do a six-week sustainable food production course again students come from all over the world for that that's uh, one third um lectures you know with really inspirational speakers from all over the world um one third uh, sort of theory and then one third practical um, you know, gardening and cooking and all of that as well. So that's always oversubscribed. This in COVID times now, we're not quite sure whether we're going to be able to run it next year or not. It's already well oversubscribed, but so we do that as well as the cooking classes. And we also, because on the farm, um, we have um, both a horticulture and agricultural unit. We have uh, little herds of Jersey cows, so, um, and a little micro dairy, so the students can literally learn how to milk a cow, how to separate the milk from the cream. With, we make butter from the cream, uh, or they learn, and, and we make butter for, with, with raw milk, of course. And also we make cheese and uh, buttermilk and yogurt, so that then we have some pigs, uh, heritage pigs, uh, free range, uh, of course. Uh, well, when I say free range, of course, that's for me, that has to be if you're going to keep animals and if you're going to eat meat, it, they need to be reared sustainably. It's very important for us that they have a happy life, that the animal welfare is really important and uh, that they're really healthy as well. So that you have not only that they're happy and but also that they have an honorable end on our plate um, with delicious uh, pork and, and salamis and things. So the students uh, see all of this. We also have about 600 free range hens. So the scraps from the morning's cooking get fed to the hens and come back as eggs a few days later. So that's all part of the message of a, a sustainable food production system. It's a holistic system where it all goes round in a circle. So the scraps go back to the hens um, uh, as well as of course, uh, organic feed. And then the eggs, um, they produce, you know, the scraps turn into eggs a few days later. We have these beautiful eggs and the hens give us uh, manure which goes back onto the compost heap and the compost goes back onto the soil to make the soil more fertile and for me it's all about the soil uh, on the first day when the students come and we do courses all year round but we do three three months certificate courses in the year and when the students come on the first day the first thing I do is I introduce them uh, to our, our gardeners and our farm manager and I have a, a wheelbarrow of soil there and I run my hands through the soil and they're all gathered around me in a, in a circle and all ages and from all over the world. And um, I run my hands through the soil and I say to them, remember, this is where it, it all starts. This is where all good food starts. You know, we're totally reliant on the four or five inches of soil around the world for our very existence. And most of the time we treat that soil like dirt. We're killing our soils all over the world. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of estimates at the moment now that there are just like 50 or 60 harvests left. Well, I can easily remember back 50 years. Um, and uh, just depending on how uh, intensively uh, the land has been formed. So any, any society that, that neglects its soil uh, and damages its land is, is doomed, basically. And we're doing that all over the world. So anyway, I run my hands through the soil and say to them, look, remember, the health of the soil, the health of the plant, the health of the animal, and the health of the human are all connected, all one and indivisible. And I'm quoting there Lady Eve Balfour of the, one of the founders of the Soil Association. And, you know, unless we have rich fertile soil, we won't have 
clean water and we won't have good food and we cannot continue to exist. Um, so anyway, they look at me and they think, oh my God, some aged hippie on a mission, um, you know, didn't say anything about this in the, in the brochure. But I have to shock them out of thinking that food is just something that comes wrapped in plastic off a supermarket shelf. I have to get them to think about how it's produced, where it comes from, the feed, the breed, all of these different things. So that when they leave us after 12 weeks, um, not only do they, their whole attitude to food and to life actually has changed, but they will shop in a different way. They will eat in a different way. They will support their local farmers and local communities. They will also have an idea of what goes into actually producing really good, healthy, wholesome food. The first thing we do then is after that, is we go down through the gardens and the greenhouses and we show them how to sow a seed. These are going to be cooks and chefs. Now this is for people who are going to open restaurants eventually. And I, and I show them how to sow a seed. And, and then we give them a little plant and they plant that, depending on the season, they plant that into the ground. It could be a little bunch of spring onions. It could be, uh, it could be a lettuce. It could be um, a corn on the cob or something, depending on the season. And then they plant that into the ground. They put a little lollipop stick with their name beside it. And then they watch that growing, look after it for three months. Now, this is one of the most important lessons that my that students learn in the whole three months are with us because suddenly they realize that it takes at least three months to actually grow something from seed. So uh, they, and suddenly the whole discussion around food security and sustainability begins to make sense because before that um, they, you know, everybody in their busy lives, you know, they're dashing into the supermarket grabbing something off the shelf many people know much more about the lives of celebrities than they do about the food that they're feeding themselves and eating mm -hmm. so basically the but the realization that it takes three months at least to grow a bunch of carrots or beetroot or whatever and you know now we all know that so many unexpected things have happened in the last number of years we realize that you know how fragile our food system is and how crazy we've been to allow ourselves to become so de-skilled that many people can't make themselves a slice of toast or scramble an egg. And the one thing we all totally depend on every day. Uh, so I need them to rethink, uh, to have a big rethink about food and this thing of sowing a seed and waiting for it to grow into something delicious is basically a real wake up call a real eye opener for them and after this they they really appreciate the work that goes into producing really good nourishing food and they want to hug every farmer and food producer they come across and uh, so that's uh, uh, just just a little bit of background we also have um quite extensive vegetable and herb gardens and fruit gardens and orchards uh, but um we don't have any sheep because we don't quite have enough room but we have of course beef cattle as well uh, heritage breeds of cattle and then we have our own beef in fact yesterday we had uh, we uh, we cooked some of our um, you know when we were cooking steaks with the students uh, it was our own beef and was hung actually for seven weeks I thought it was almost too much but basically the flavor was fantastic but they saw these animals out in the field they then saw them going to the uh, uh, you know nice and gently to the local uh, a little trip into Middleton to our local butcher, Frank uh, Murphy, and then humanely killed. And then they had, we, we celebrated them with an honorable end on our plates. And so that's as it should be. But so they, they absolutely know how the food can, can get a great, much greater understanding of how food is produced and the efforts that goes into it. And also they go out with the gardeners, the farm manager in the morning, bring in the herbs and so on. So this is all about teaching them about sustainability and about the impact of our actions on, on the environment, on nature, and the importance of, of, and the futility of farming against nature, and the importance of farming in harmony with nature. Um, and that's not just for the food, of course, it's for the, 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 the bird life, which is always much, much, uh, there are many, many, many more species on an organic farm, and also the little insects and uh, pollinators and, and hoverflies and all of those. 
that are all we're all part of an interconnected thing. So this is just woven in and out to every single day. It's mostly we're mostly fo focusing on cooking, of course, but we also do butchery, charcuterie, show them how to forage, which is really important to recognize food in the wild. Again, uh, the whole uh, the whole discussion on food security becomes much more um, real and understandable. Um, not only, of course, when you see something like COVID happening and a lot of the shelves empty in the supermarkets, for a time we suddenly realize the importance of upskilling ourselves in many ways, not only being able to cook and indeed able to grow and sow seeds and look after things, but also being able to recognize the wild foods, the, the, the free wild foods in, in nature. As far as what else do we do? Uh, uh, the, with cheese making, and also we do a lot of fermenting as well. So we take a lot of our the produce and particularly produce that might be surplus produce and we uh, make that fermented into, you know, all sorts of sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha we make every day, water kefir. So they're learning all of these things and all of it is interconnected. Um, and the message is all the time about, you know, starting with you want chemical free food as far as possible and the importance of producing it so that you're not damaging nature and you're enhancing your environment and you know not in any way as far as possible um, contributing any more to climate change if anything trying to pr provide a carbon sink um, again we I, I say to them you know look around you not only just to see what wild foods are around you listen to the birds and uh, look, look at the trees and the shrubs and the hedgerows do you know what the trees are? Can you recognize them? Honestly, a lot of people nowadays couldn't name four trees. I mean, I go around the, the uh, pardon? Yes, I go around the guy and say, well, what's that tree? What's that? What's that? You know, or, you know, just come and ask me if you don't know what something is. I don't, <laughs> certainly don't know what everything is, but it makes people look at things and um, it makes our students and people who come, you know, question more curious uh, and also they realize the importance when they go shopping for food particularly of not only you know they uh, going to the farmers markets as far as possible and buying directly from the producer and talking to them starting up a conversation so they can learn more about the process um, but also every time we make a choice the way we spend our food euro or our food dollar has such an impact, not only on our health, it can actually be health giving or it can be disease promoting, but also it can be either, you know, injecting money back into our own community, into our own country, helping our own farmers and fishermen and cheesemakers and all of that, or it can be a very thoughtless thing, which a thoughtless way of spending the money and uh, without having the impact that we'd all like it to have, uh, the, the way we spend our money, we would like it to have positive rather than negative impact. Sorry, you haven't managed to get an, a word in for the last. <laughs> oh, I'm loving, I'm loving the description of your journey. Uh, you know, I, I always used to talk to my farmers. We have a, you know, a slogan, don't be a price taker, be a price maker. And, oh and, then, yeah. and then let your imagination open up the opportunities and you have demonstrated just how far you can take it it's it's really an incredible story that you have to share with everybody uh you know one of the things that i'm very impressed now that we're in county cork is the food culture they are yeah. so proud of uh, Ireland's cuisine, Ireland's identity, Ireland's culture, it's all seeming to come to be integrated together. And uh, I know that you've been involved with all of that as well. And your sustainable uh, farming program is, is incorporates a lot of those concepts. And uh, how, how much of a factor was the, uh, you know, all of the on a, on a county level or even the national level, all that helping you achieve what you've just told us? Well, you know, my mother-in-law, Myrtle Allen, who opened uh, her home, a big old country house, 
uh, in East Cork, uh, you know, 30, more than 30 miles from Cork City, uh, as a restaurant initially, and then as a little country house hotel, what you call an American Inn, uh, in the early 1960s, 1964. Um, she has she has been a huge influence, not just nationally here in Ireland, but of course internationally. And she didn't set out to do that uh, under any circumstances. Uh, she um, really just she um, the house is very big. The kids have gone to boarding school, um, and she was rattling around in the house and a very big house to maintain. So uh, she was thinking, well, how could we generate another bit of income and also showcase you know, the, the, the really good produce we have here in Ireland and serve it to our guests and to people who might come from abroad. Anyway, she opened uh, in 1964. It was originally called the Eighth Room because there was a connect, the dining room was originally called the Eighth Room because there was a, a collection of six beautiful Jack Yates paintings in it. Uh, but anyway, um, and she wrote the menu every day, depending on what um, was in, you know, in the garden and the greenhouses and what lovely fish came in from the boats in Ballycotton, what was in season. Now this, um, you may be old enough to remember, is a time when restaurants opened and their menu was the same 10 years later. I mean, the idea of writing a menu every day was considered to be ridiculous, amateurish. I mean, why would you do that? She had no training, by the way, as a professional chef or anything, but she just cooked the food that was best in her, uh, her garden and in her local area and served it to the get her family and the guests. And um, the menu changed every day, depending on what was there. And people absolutely loved it. So, and she just did her own thing. And then people started to come from all over the place. So she was a huge influence. I came from hotel school and worked with her. And all of what we do now is not part of any sort of mission statement or anything. It's just the way we always did it. It was just the way it felt right for us. Um, so the so she's been uh, quite the influence. Also, I've been involved with Slow Food uh, for many, many years and um, I had a convivian, still have a convivia here in East Cork. And um, the reason why I, I'm involved with Slow Food is because the ethos of Slow Foods, you know, um, uh, you know supporting uh, local producers, small farmers, fishermen, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and the many other elements of slow food resonate with me as a philosophy. And so it was a sort of natural thing. And also then education, of course, passing on the skills of how to cook, how to grow uh, and live sustainably to a great extent, whether we live in urban or, or rural areas uh, is very much part of what we do. So we've linked in, we have a little project here where we link in with nine local uh, schools, uh, uh, national schools, junior schools, and each of those schools must have a school garden and they must grow, um, you know, uh, they, they sow the seeds, grow vegetables, harvest them, they have a compost heap there. We send a chicken coop and two hens to all of those schools. So the children can learn how to sow seeds, how to grow things, and then how to cook it. They come back up to the cooking school here and they, um, go around the farm and then they come into the kitchens and they cook, they pick the produce, come into the kitchens and cook it. And it is fantastic um, the impact that little pro project, it's only nine schools, but that has because the kids um, absolutely love to learn how to cook and how to grow. They're very proud of what they do. They collect the eggs and all of that. And then they, it's, this is using pester power in the best possible way because they go home to their parents and they, you know, say, look, we have to get hens, we have to get hens, and or we need to, to sow seeds, and our mummy, look, I, I learned how to cook this today, uh, can we do this? So we send them home with the recipes, and they then pester their parents, and actually in one school alone, 27 parents started uh, to grow vegetables for the first time after that school joined, and then 18 parents in the same, the same lots of parents got hens for the first time so that the kids, so that each family could produce their own eggs and little, so, you know, that's, it's all again, part of spreading the message of our responsibility, really. Um, it doesn't have to be a burden just to, to live as sustainably as possible. There are always, it's always a work in progress. I mean, I would love to be 
totally plastic free we're not we cut down on we don't use tin foil at all or aluminium foil uh, we uh, we have cut down on you know uh, all of the single-use plastic still uh, would love to cut out cling film completely but it's become you know we haven't completely managed so a lot of us it's we're, we're on a journey and a lot of the farmers now um as are the farmers and so on and it is really encouraging in many ways uh, that so many farmers now can see the writing on the wall they understand that the, the about the diminishing fertility of the soil they can see that we've reached peak production and to get to continue to boost this, the uh, yields they actually um basically need to add more and more inputs expensive inputs so they realize that this can't go on much longer that so we so they're turning they're beginning to explore other ways they may not want to go fully organic but they are actually looking at you know um uh, agroecology or regenerative farming and it's very interesting because it's a lot of the really progressive young farmers who are uh, you know right there on the crest of the wave and realizing that there has to be a new way forward and they're really um, exploring all these different areas. We also do quite a lot of what you might call min-till or no-till. In other words, sowing directly into the soil on a layer of compost. We make huge amount of compost. So all of the, you know, the leaves and the grass clippings and the end of uh, vegetable crops that haven't been set, fed to the hens or the, or the, the pigs uh, basically go back onto the compost heap and they're composted down that goes back onto the soil to make the soil more fertile. So it's all, you know, part of a of this um, circular economy, you could say, really. That's right. You know, uh, your story about the uh, school gardens really uh, hits home for me as well, because I had school garden programs and uh, I loved it when I found out I had some children of chefs in the schools, because all of a sudden they brought in the cooking part for the children and yeah. working with my nutrition director, we eventually were able to get what the children grew served in their school lunch. And it was, it was, it was just so uh, confidence building and such, such a wonderful you know, development of what we started out just basically, like you say, give them a seed to plant and watch it grow, but it, it became so much more than that. And, and uh, right now it still goes on, you know, and I'm so, and, and I try to keep in touch with their, the, the, the next stage of development of it. And I'm sure there will be. And uh, the, also what you, well, yeah, you know, again, uh, yeah. I just have to repeat, I've had such wonderful experiences working with chefs over the years. It just has helped me, I don't know, like, you, you know, I'm, I come from an academic background, and even though I also come from a farming background, uh, there are, you know, there's just too much divisions, like you were saying, people don't know where their food comes from, but yet those people can be the decision makers. Well, how do you, how do you find the bridge? Oh. Chefs are a wonderful bridge. <laughs> uh, the power of uh, sitting and enjoying a meal and finding uh, the commonality between people that uh, may not cross paths at any other time in their life. And, and so uh, just helping to explain just everything you've talked about, how the interconnectedness, the uh, even with uh, talking to uh, conventional, what I call conventional farmers, farmers that are used to high input, you start out with well, what is your, you know, what what do you need to uh, improve to make a better uh, uh, profit or a, a outcome, even if it's just saving the expense of watering your crops? Well, if you add organic matter to your soil, you'll be able to reduce the amount of irrigation water you need to use. And then over time, they start to see the benefits of other things that happen that benefit and before you know it they're asking you for even more ideas so uh everything you're saying is 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 just matches my experience too that uh, you can start off in a, in a small step and then you 
all of the synchronicities and the connectedness starts to to show itself and before you know it uh they can be you can they can be certified organic or even not even choose to get certified but they're essentially farming organically and and uh that's 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 a beautiful thing to see happen well indeed we have, well we have at least we have no problem with with rain in ireland anyway so irrigation <laughs> rarely a necessity but sometimes and then on another point i mean in a way what are we like over the last couple of decades in a way what we've done is we have in our busy lives we've handed over complete control over our food choices in many cases to the supermarkets and the multinational food companies and let's face it it's not their responsibility to keep us healthy our health basically is not their main priority uh, despite the fact they might tell us all the time that they or you know yeah they have our best interests at heart where where they're you know selling us cheaper and cheaper food but basically their responsibility is to their shareholders make no mistake about it our responsibility is our health mm. and the, every time we buy something um, and depending on what we buy it's actually going to impact on our health and on the environment so uh, let's take back control over our food and uh, uh, and we do that by literally being more knowledgeable learning how to cook is unbelievably important because you if you can cook um, you can make a delicious nourishing wholesome meal from very inexpensive ingredients a lot of the time. But if you can't cook, you're totally at the mercy of the multinational food companies who are paying right into their hands by the more de-skilled we come, the more, more unskilled or de-skilled we become, um, the better it is for, for business. Then we go out and buy lots and lots of you know, uh, ultra-processed food, which we all know now is killing us. And I don't use that word lightly. I use it very, um, I, I know what I'm saying when I say, uh, say that the reality is that ultra-processed food is killing us. We know the impact on our health, so we need to take that control. There's no point in blaming the supermarkets or the multinational food companies. That's their work. That's their job. And uh, it's just for us to take back control, upskill ourselves again, and, and uh, then you know, make it, think about the impact of all of our food choices so um so that was just a few little things i wanted to say there yeah and they're and they need to be said no you're absolutely right you know um well i've thoroughly enjoyed uh our time together and being able to 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 have this chat and i guess uh following up on a lot of what you've said there you know here we are in the era of covid and <laughs> It's interesting, you, you began your story with uh, what I would, I guess, academically call a external threat when joining the EU and you had all of these uh, constraints and expenses that helped you think outside of the box and begin the journey that you're still on now. A lot of people are trying to, to uh, let people know this is a COVID actually is a great opportunity to transform everything. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would, I would love to hear your take on uh, just how real is that considering the power of these multinational corporations and everything. And uh, not that it has to happen immediately, but are you encouraged? Are you, uh, seeing signs that uh, help you think of even uh, newer ways to continue developing the community connections you have to help all these great ideas go forward? Um, well, um, yes, of course, an extraordinarily challenging time, but, you know, in a way to survive all of this, uh, we need to be uh, to keep us positive, to, to count our blessings as much as possible, and also to keep as positive as possible, and to try for all. It's not easy. We all have different temperaments, but to kind of be a glass half full person rather than glass half empty. I see tons and tons of opportunities, uh, basically, particularly in the on the food in uh, in the food area. Now, having said that, we all have every finger and toe crossed that we will 
get through this without contracting COVID, of course. Uh, but just to give you a little idea, um, we employ here, um, but at the cooking school, we employ 80 something people. Now this is the cooking school, not Ballymaloo House. So basically when uh, I remember when during the first lockdown, um, it was uh, Friday the 13th of March, we suddenly realized the reality was that we were going to have to close the school. And that was in week 10 of uh, the 12 week, uh, the, um, the, uh, the, the January 12 week course. And so the students were devastated, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, and we had all of these staff, now what to do basically. So we were lucky, we have a little farm shop here on the farm that people come, local people come and people, when it's not lockdown, people come from much further afield to buy the organic produce from the farm, to buy raw milk, buttermilk, the, and also lots of, you know, uh, delicious foods like, you know, uh, pies and tarts and patties and, you know, uh, pickles and all sorts of things, cakes, sweet treats. So we already had that. So we uh, immediately, um, you know, increased the, the, the food offering there and we were able to keep that open. Our teachers then, um, so, you know, some of our staff decided to furlough, I can never quite say that word, uh, if they might have had somebody in their family who was uh, compromised or something. But a lot of our staff, anybody who wanted work stayed on. And basically our teachers um, divided their time between the farm and gardens and the greenhouses and the kitchens. So uh, they would spend a couple of days in the kitchens, you know, cooking. Um, and of course, the other thing we have here is a bakery. We have a, a bread shed and a fermentation shed. I think I mentioned fermentation, but where we make the most beautiful natural sourdough, 48 hour natural sourdough every day and other really good um, baked goods from organic flour. So people, um, you know, could come, then would come to the farm and gardens uh, to, uh, to buy that, uh, that would come to the farm shop to buy this produce, this local produce. So they, they, as I said, the cooks and gardeners alternated between the farm and gardens. The teachers were actually then learning more about how food is produced and vice versa. And then we also, when it opened up again, we actually have a food truck, which we opened. We opened a field cafe, an open air cafe in the field. And all of the produce, all of the uh, little things for the cafe were all individually uh, wrapped. So, you know, it was all takeout. And on Saturdays, uh, we uh, have a, a pop-up pizzeria, wood-burning oven. Now that, and then that went to takeout rather than people eating in. So we just looked at every single element of what we were doing and thought, how can we roll with the punches and create, you know, a different income stream. A lot of our courses here at the New Cookie School um, uh, apart from the 12 week course, which of course is operating at the moment with much smaller numbers, six nationalities, they all quarantined, as well as Irish and so on. Uh, but so that continues to operate and we hope that we can get to the end of that without any more lockdown. Uh, but then a lot of we've also developed, we've put Ballymere Cookery School online. So we've done uh, the courses, um, a lot of them are online. In fact, this morning, as we now speak, uh, there's a, my brother, Rory O'Connell, who's co-founder of the Van de Cookie School with me. He's doing a, a course on canapes and lovely little bites to go with drinks, which is being streamed out literally all over the world. Mm. So it's like, it's the same thing. Um, how we're, you know, how do you find uh, a way with what you have been fortunate enough? We were very fortunate to inherit this 100 acre farm. And my parents in law then said, well, look, you guys get on with it now. Keep the roof over your heads. And so there's always opportunities. But again, if you're doing something, we all have to work hard and love working hard, love what I'm doing and fortunate to love what I'm doing. But basically, if you can do something that you love and you're passionate about, but also has the extra feel good factor of, you know, that you're not, that you're um, not damaged, you're doing, you know, as far as possible, you're trying to enhance uh, the environment around you, trying to produce food sustainably, and if you can create some, uh, um, if you can create some, particularly in a country area, but anywhere, if you can create some employment while you do that in your local community, well, all the better. And it was quite interesting during the, uh, well, we're back in lockdown now again, but during the first lockdown, particularly, 
Uh, we just live, um, I suppose the Balmukuku School is about a quarter of a mile north of Shanagari village, very close to the sea at Ballycotton. And when, the, when we had the little farm shop, uh, as I said, you know, we uh, in, increased the amount of food and, and bread and all that sort of things there. A lot of the people, there were people between us and the village of Shanagari, which is less than a quarter of a mile, that had never, ever before been up to the farm shop. Hmm. And suddenly they were not allowed to travel more than within five kilometer radius. Uh, they, we put up a sign in the village saying, you know, the bread and all the other things and people poured up. Now, it's interesting it, when you're selling something organic, it take, costs more to produce it. And uh, so very often it has to be a bit more expensive and so on. So a lot of people are totally fixated on how cheap the food is. It doesn't matter what, it's just cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Well, you know, cheap food is a myth. In health terms, in socioeconomic terms, it's a disaster. And as well as that, you're not paying the producer enough to produce something really good and healthy, the sort of food that you say uh, uh, that, that we want. So, but if you're working hard and, and if you also get the feel good factor of doing something that you can be proud of, well, that's, uh, uh, we are fortunate indeed. Uh, so it's all for all of us. It's a, we're all on a journey. None of us are perfect. We all plenty of things that we can improve on. But basically, um, and a lot of now, one other final thing I just want to say there, it's quite interesting because there's also been a bit of a sea change in people's attitude to food. We notice that a lot of people who have continued to come up to the uh, to the farm shop, even though they would normally have done a one week shop sort of in the supermarket or whatever, but continue to come up in often they're paying a little bit more for a different kind of produce. But now people seem to be connecting the food that they're eating with how they're feeling and their health. They realize that what the, our food choices are impacting on our health. And there's plenty of research to show that you spend on food the more you spend on mess, it literally goes like that. Uh, so people realize that it's worth investing a little bit more money in good, healthy, wholesome, nourishing food that's produced sustainably, uh, actually, uh, rather than just giving the money to the doctor, the chemist, who, and they're all basically overworked at the moment anyway. So it's been interesting that there's been that change. Not everybody can afford it, but everybody deserves and needs wholesome, nourishing food. Yes, I totally agree. You know, I was able to come visit Ballet Malo Cookery School and Farm uh, early September with my wife and my son. And I know you were busy with your school, your classes at that time, and we thoroughly enjoyed our, our visit. It's, 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 it's uh, exactly feel good uh, is a good description of what you feel when you come onto your place as well as in enjoying the delicious food that we had at your, at your food truck. Mm. Uh, and, and actually tomorrow, my wife and I will hike over to Mahone Point Farmer's Market and buy yeah. from, from your vendor at that farmer's market, like we've been doing since, since we've been living here. So that's right. Uh, oh, well, um, I'm delighted to hear that. Actually, you need to get the, the Irish pronunciation for that. It's man point, okay? Man, okay. Man <laughs> point, we'll give yes. you a... I'm, I'm, working, actually, <laughs> I'm working on that. Good, that's run actually by uh, one of my son-in-laws, uh, Rupert Hugh Jones. And uh, I'll tell Igor that you, uh, who runs at the Ballymagoo Cookery School stall at the man point farmer's market and actually at the Middleton farmer's market, uh, that uh, you're one of his loyal customers. He'll yes. be delighted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yes, thanks again so much, Darina. And uh, like I say, once we get uh, past the current uh, travel restrictions, we'll be trying to uh, come by again and, and enjoy more of uh, your farm and, and just, uh, you know, hopefully we can meet in person too. Oh, good. Well, and also it's good maybe for us all just at the end of this podcast to remind everybody, each and every one, that we can all make a difference depending on how we decide to, uh, to spend our, our, our food money and going to the farmers markets. 
uh, or indeed we should also mention here in Ireland, the wonderful neighbor food market, which is an online farmer's markets. And you can, you just uh, go online, you order, you pay online, and then you, uh, for a certain time every week, and then you come and collect it. Another amazingly important thing to have, to support the farmers and food producers uh, during the, uh, during COVID. And in fact, one of the things that we did here in East Cork, although I'm very involved and actually was a founder of, of the, re, the new age farmers markets here in Ireland about nearly 26, 27 years ago. First one, by the way, was in the Cold Key in Cork. Uh, and, but uh, so I feel so strongly about the importance of the farmers markets, but when the farmers markets were closed overnight uh, in the last lockdown, it was absolutely inconscionable. But anyway, suddenly the uh, stall holders, their hens kept laying, their vegetables kept growing, their pigs kept fattening. They had absolutely nowhere else to sell their produce. And many of them, there was their one and only income. So here at the cooking school, we immediately set up a branch of East Cork neighbor food. And so that a lot of those farmers and food producers stallholders could sell at least some of their produce uh, to the neighbor food system. And that wonderful young man, Jack Crotty and his mother, Simon uh, from Cork, who were behind that uh, initiative uh, really have made that their, their neighbor food has made such an income. So that's another thing, another way to actually shop sustainably and the money goes right back into the pockets of the um, farmers and food producers. They get paid 80% of the retail price as opposed to if they sell to the ordinary supermarket system, they'd be really lucky to get a third of the price, the retail price, and they'd be, and they would probably not be paid, they'd be paid within two months. So. Uh, all these little things can make a difference to uh, so many of our neighbours in our local community and to Ireland for that matter. And uh, it also makes shopping uh, much more enjoyable when you have, think about all these things. Wonderfully said. Uh, and uh, I again, thank you so much and, and hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Well, thank you very much and all the best to um, all of your listeners and uh, hopefully they may come and see us at some stage here at the Valmue Cookery School when life gets back to some kind of new normal. In the meantime, there's a website www.cookingisfun.ie so they can look in and then I forget how you connect up with our online courses, but if you go onto the website, you'll be able to do that. We have a whole, we have about 10 or 12 um, online courses coming up before Christmas and people can give gift tokens as well if they want to. So anyway, in the meantime, keep safe and well and happy Christmas to you and all, all right. your listeners. <laughs> That's right. Holidays are upon us. So, okay. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye then. Bye. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Jarena Allen of the Ballymallow Cookery School Organic Farm and Gardens of County Cork, Ireland. I hope you found it as inspiring and informative as I did. Jarena's story shows clearly how stakeholders can respond effectively to changes affecting their community with her example. Originally with economic challenges, and by extension to today's challenges of pandemics and climate change. Tarina exemplifies that all stakeholders can contribute to promote sustainable agriculture and resilient food systems by acquiring necessary skills, knowledge, and enterprises for their community. If you want more information about and or contact the Ballymallow Cookery School, you can go to their website at http colon forward slash forward slash www dot cooking is fun dot ie for your information it's now offering online cookery courses and demonstrations in addition you can learn about the complete line of enterprises of Ballymallow at their website http 
colon forward slash forward slash www.ballymelo.com and ballymelo is spelled B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-L-O-E. If you want more information about and or contact the Glasgow Food and Climate Declaration Program that was described in the introduction, you can go to their website at https colon forward slash forward slash www.glasgowdeclaration.org. There is a list of events and resources leading up to COP26, the UN Climate Change Conference from November 1st to the 12th, 2021, that are placing food and local action at the heart of the global response to the climate emergency. Happy trails until we meet again at my next episode of Agroecology World. Once again, I really want to express my gratitude to everyone's efforts in becoming regular listeners and sharing my podcast with friends and your network. Your participation as an active listener is helping me achieve the goal for my podcast. And that is the free exchange of ideas and contact information of worldwide groups that are leading the transition to agroecology and sustainable community food systems.